This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours. Good afternoon, and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi in studio with Onelens Insi, Sitle Zuma and Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Somalia's Al-Shabaab militants have killed at least three teachers in Garissa, Kenya. Both sides in Libya's conflict have agreed to cease fire uh, to end nine months of fighting. And aid agencies urge the G5 Sahel Summit in France to explore non-military solutions for communities affected by crisis. We'll also be having your business as well as sporting news a little bit later on in the hour. But right now, let's cross on over to Onelensensei for your latest news bulletin. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. The African Union continues to warn against external interference in Libya, saying that Africa must lead the peace process. The rowing factions from the North African country are in Russia for talks. Koleta Wanjohe reports from Addis Ababa. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says as the African Union chair of the year 2020, he will work to assist with the Libyan peace process. Russia has invited the Government of National Accord and the Opposition Liberation National Army for a meeting, hoping it will lead to lasting truce. The two sides have already accused each other of violating a ceasefire, agreed Sunday. Turkey sent troops to Libya last week to assist the UN-backed Government of National Accord forces. South Africa says that assistance with the conflict in Libya should be in the form of what it calls African solutions. Libya has been dealing with internal conflicts since the 2011 uprising, which ousted longtime leader Muammar Gaddafi. The Libyan crisis has further destabilized the Sahel region and has made Libya a hub for people smugglers transporting migrants to Europe. Koleton Johi, SBC News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Malawi's Chief Justice Sandru Nyerender has asked the country's Anti-Corruption Bureau to investigate alleged bribery attempts targeting judges proceeding over the presidential elections case. In a letter to the Bureau, Justice Nyerender alleges that there had been attempts to bribe the five-judge panel that is hearing the petition. Bureau Director Reinek Matembo has confirmed to several newspapers that investigations have started. The petition challenging President Peter Mutarika's win was filed by the candidates who came second and third in the May 2019 elections. There is a heavy security presence in the streets of Guinea's capital, Conakry, ahead of opposition protests against President Alpha Conde's suspected plan to amend the constitution. The move is expected to enable Conde to run for a third term in next year's elections. Reports say most businesses have remained closed and the capital is extremely tense. Previous demonstrations against Conde's possible third term bid have attracted huge crowds. At least 20 deaths have been reported in the protests since October. Last year, flights are being cancelled to and from the Philippines' capital Manila after a volcano spewed a massive cloud of ash into the sky. Says 
seismologists rather, uh, have warned an eruption of Tau volcano could occur at any time, potentially triggering a tsunami. More than 16,000 people have been evacuated after dozens of tremors sent residents to urge. Tau is the Philippines' second most active volcano and one of the smallest on the globe. The BBC's Howard Johnson reports. Manila's main international airport opened again today, but flights are subject to cancellations and long delays. In the Tagatai area close to Tal Volcano, a steady flow of local residents left a 14-kilometer exclusion zone. At a petrol station, there were scores of motorcyclists panic-buying fuel. Local officials were busy clearing the roads of thick ash deposits from the volcano. Taal, the country's second most active volcano, has been showing signs of activity since March of last year. Dozens of volcanic tremors have been recorded in the area since then. Lastly, as an unprecedented royal summit gets underway in England and the UK, the Dukes of Cambridge and Sussex have denied reports that their relationship has soured over the past two years. The meeting with Queen Elizabeth is intended to resolve the crisis sparked by Prince Harry and his wife Meghan's decision to step back from their royal engagements and leave abroad for some time. The BBC's Johnny Diamond reports. This morning, the brothers William and Harry put out a blunt denial of an apparently well-sourced story in The Times that alleged bullying of Harry by William. The report was false, the brothers said, and the use of what they called inflammatory language in this way is offensive and potentially harmful. The Queen, Prince Charles, William and Harry will meet for the first time this afternoon with Meghan probably on the line from Canada. They'll see what deal might be done that would satisfy the Sussexes in their quest for a new relationship with the palace, the crown and the country. Channel African News, I am Onilin Sinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Now to Kenya, where Somalia's militant Al-Shabaab militants have killed three teachers in the northeastern country of Garissa, where they launched an attack in the early hours of Monday morning. Uh, James Shimanyula has more on the story. According to Kenya police spokesman Charlie Sowino, Al-Shabaab militants killed three teachers after attacking a school in Garissa County in the northeastern part of Kenya near the border with neighboring Somalia. The teachers were killed in the early hours of today, Monday, before school children arrived at a local primary school. Owino said the militants also attacked a police post. No deaths or injuries were reported. This marks the second time that the militants have carried out attacks in Kenya in less than two weeks. It may be recalled that on the 7th of this month, at least four students were killed and four more injured when Al-Shabaab militants attacked another primary school in the county. To get a clear picture of what happened, here is Garissa County Commissioner Meru Mwangi to tell us more. It so happened that uh, in uh, Garissa, Fafisabul County, there was an attack from uh, the Al-Shabaab and uh, they invaded uh, a, a school and in which uh, some of the uh, teachers were in there and they were attacked and three of them were succumbed to their firearm and uh, one, was, one, one child was also injured in the process. 
these people moved ahead and even uh, attacked uh, the mast that is supposed to provide the communication network in the same area. And uh, they further uh, attempted to, to attack police patrol base in the same area. Our officers have uh, since at, uh, moved to the scene. They have been able to confirm the same. They are on hot pursuit on uh, the perpetrators. That was Darissa County Commissioner Meru Mwangi speaking about Al-Shabaab attack which occurred in the early hours of today, Monday. Meanwhile, Kenya Police Spokesman Charles Owino says police have mobilized a special force to pursue the Al-Shabaab attackers. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. Both sides in Libya's conflict have agreed to a ceasefire to end nine months of fighting after weeks of international diplomacy and calls for a truce by power brokers Russia and Turkey. The oil-rich North African country has been wrecked by a bloody turmoil since a NATO-backed uprising killed longtime leader Muammar Gaddafi in 2011, with multiple foreign powers now involved. The country has since been split between two rival administrations, one led by Khalifa Haftar, based in the east, and the other led by Fayez al-Siraj in the capital Tripoli. Since April last year, the Tripoli-based government has been under attack from eastern forces loyal to Haftar, which captured the strategic coastal city of Sirte last week. Former ambassador of Libya to South Africa, Abdullah al-Zabedi, tells us more. Uh, this is the hope. We hope that it will work. But given the nature of the conflict and being and the the involvement of so many, you know, militias and uh, terrorists from from inside and outside the country, and the support they're getting from countries like Turkey and uh, Qatar, um, the chances are not as good as we hope. If they, because uh, there was support from four years ago since mm-hmm. uh, Sarraj took over, they were supposed to have uh, disarmed these uh, militias, and uh, instead of that, uh, they became under the control of the militias, and this is why the army, which is uh, was legitimized, legitimized by the by the parliament, which is based in the east. They fled from Tripoli to the east because of the militias. So the army led by Haftar gets its legitimacy from the parliament. It was appointed by the parliament, which is based, and uh, and, and the government, which is based in the east. The Sarraj government, unfortunately, has been, since its, since its arrival in Tripoli, uh, has been under the control of the militias. So we hope they manage to, after the defeats of militias and the army being able to control more than 95% of the country, uh, including 85% of Tripoli itself, being away only 10 kilometers from the city center of Tripoli, I hope they by now understand that they, they should actually dis- uh, dissolve and uh, lay down their arms and uh, for the foreigners to leave the country because uh, because there are many of them are coming even from Syria, from Turkey, from Iraq, and from the, form, the, the fighters from mm, Daesh, mm. Al-Qaeda. They are the ones that are fighting now, supported by Turkey and Qatar. 
Do you think that at this point, um, Mr. Alzabedi, that uh, monitoring mechanisms should be put in place to almost ensure and monitor that uh, violations of uh, the ceasefire are, 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 are make, people make sure that they don't happen, that there's no violations? Well, we hope so. We hope we are, we are desperately looking for peace. Libya has not been living, has been living in wars and the, and the, the uh, militia rule for the last <clears throat> for the last nine years. So we are everybody looking for peace, but peace should be based on you know on uh, on a solid basis, excluding the militias. Because if you include the militias, mm. there will never be peace because they 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 nobody can control them and they and they have always been disturbing the peace. Mm. All the peaceful processes from over the last nine years, even before the Sarraj government, have been unsuccessful because the militias were uh, resisting. Now that they have been defeated, almost, they are accepting only to get more arms, to get some more time, to get more arms and to go and fight back. And they think they can even reverse the situation Mm -hmm. and go back and rule all of Libya, including the east and the south, which have been liberated already. Now, you've you've stated already that, of course, peace is the main aim here. What, in your view, um, uh, Mr. Al-Zabedi, should be at the top of the agenda um, to ensure that uh, um, there is long-lasting peace here? First of all, on any agenda, they should first point you know, should be how to disarm the militias and how to make sure that we have a, a really a, a peaceful solution. And this is according to, I mean, the, the, the disarmament of the militias and the, the, the including them of the, in the other government sub, uh, establishments was a decision made by the Security Council, by even the Sekherat Agreement, which was signed in Morocco, uh, four years ago, also stipulates that the militias should be disarmed. And this is the main problem of Libya, is the, are the militias. They are the, the main problem there. If that is done, and if, it is, if they are really serious, they should include it as point number one, because it has always been the main and the major problem in countering any peaceful solution in Libya. So if, if in uh, Moscow or in Berlin or anywhere else, if they start dealing with the real problems that are facing the Libyan people, mm, mm. they should start with problem number one, which is sure. the biggest and the most serious. And that's Abdullah Al-Zabedi, former ambassador of Libya to South Africa, on the line talking to Zekonomiso. Aid agencies have urged the G5 Sahel Summit in France to explore the non-military solutions for the communities affected by the crisis. French President Emmanuel Macron was today due to meet with counterparts from five Sahel countries to discuss the fight against armed groups and the future of French military presence in the region. Jane Rabotata has more. Aid agencies are warning of insufficient humanitarian assistance and lack of protection of civilians in the Sahel. Last year, military operations in Mali pushed more than 80,000 people to flee. 
According to the charity Action Against Hunger, mass displacements since the start of 2019 have contributed to almost a tripling of the number of people in need of food. Due to lack of funding, humanitarian organizations are struggling to meet the needs of vulnerable people in the region. In 2019, only 300 US dollars of 400 million dollars pledged by the international community in cash and material support to the Sahel was delivered according to the French presidency. NGOs have urged that civilians caught in the crossfire not be forgotten at the G5 summit involving French President Emmanuel Macron and leaders from Mauritania, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger and Chad. However, there have been speculations that recent tensions between France and regional governments could make for a tricky exchange at the six-way talks in the southwestern French city of Pau. Macron's meeting with the African heads of state was initially scheduled for mid-December, but was postponed after 71 Niger troops were killed in an attack. Last week, another attack left 89 Nigerian soldiers dead. France has over 4,000 soldiers stationed in the Sahel supporting poorly equipped local armies. Macron has challenged the five countries to use the POW meeting to express public support for France's military presence, by far the largest contribution to the fight against regional fighters aligned to al-Qaeda and ISIS. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg. Just a reminder, Spotlight Africa, a feature program that showcases and highlights African issues from an African perspective, can be heard every Wednesday at 1000 hours UCT, with repeats on Wednesday at 2000 hours, Thursday at 300 hours, and Sunday at 1300 hours UCT. Listen to Spotlight Africa a program that interrogates issues from an African perspective. Spotlight Africa. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello Africa, this is 1000 African Voices and I'm your host Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise Africa, rise. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaka, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African perspective. perspective. 
Iran's military, military acknowledged early Saturday that it had launched the missiles that brought down a Ukraine international airline's jet near the U- Iranian capital on Wednesday, killing all 176 people on board. The disaster unfolded amid escalating tensions between Iran and the United States over the killing of a revered Iranian commander, Major General Qasem Soleimani. Iraq's official news agency, INA, reported that four Iraqi soldiers have been wounded yesterday when several rockets slammed into an Iraq airbase based uh, north of Baghdad, which has housed United States troops. Naim Jina, the executive director at the Afro-Middle East Center, says despite these two incidents, there would have been no escalation of attacks between Iran and the United States. Well, I don't think that there's going to be escalation taking place. I think that there was a moment when there was a threat that there might be further escalation. So let's be clear also that kind of tit-for-tat uh, between Iran and the, and the U.S., including militarily, has been happening for, for a while. What escalated it is the level of the attack, uh, of the assassination of uh, Qasim Soleimani. But they've stepped back from that. The Iranians seem to be happy with, or at least for the moment, with having uh, struck two bases in Iraq. Even though no Americans were killed in, in that attack, they really couldn't afford to kill any Americans because of the possible repercussions. But from the Iranian perspective, the story is not over. Their demand now is the removal of uh, American troops. And I think that we're going to find that their proxies or I think they call them strategic partners, um, are going to get behind that agenda. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, an attack in the past 24 hours on a base in Iraq, we could find more of those kinds of things happening, um, attacks perhaps in, uh, uh, in Yemen, uh, maybe not directly against the Americans, but particularly against their, their allies, the, the UAE. Um, and I think that we'll see more of that uh, happening at a lower level than uh, kind of uh, at the level of someone like Qasim Soleimani. Staying with you, Naeem, acknowledging this viewpoint that you're saying that we might not see escalation, but what makes this whole situation complex is uh, um, the launch of a missile that brought down uh, the Ukrainian uh, jet uh, that killed uh, 176 people. Um, How does that complicate uh, the U.S. and uh, uh, Iran situation? Because now you Ukraine is coming, and I know that there were statements that were made by the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who said that he will seek justice uh, because there were uh, 50-something Canadians on board this Ukrainian passenger plane. It doesn't complicate the matter at all. I mean, uh, everyone has accepted that uh, the plane was not shot down deliberately, that uh, it was an accident, um, as as the Iranians explained. And uh, even the Canadians, who are, have been the most vociferous on the issue, because, um, as you say, there were 50-odd uh, Canadians on board, they are collaborating with the Iranians in terms of the investigation. Uh, Trudeau's comment that he will seek justice is, well, a fair comment. I don't think that the Iranians are arguing against that. Ultimately, there will probably be some um, arrangement where there's compensation uh, paid to uh, to the victims, etc., but it, it doesn't complicate in any way, as far as I'm concerned, the relationship between um, Iran and the United States. And that was Naeem Jina, the executive director at the Afro-Middle East Center, speaking to Benjamin Mushatama.
As many children around the world were celebrating the festive season, South Africa's 12-year-old Stacey Fru was off to New Delhi where she made South Africa and, the Afri- and Africa in general proud by receiving the Global Child Prodigy Awards in the category of writing. The Global Child Prodigy Awards, otherwise known as the GCPA, is a unified platform that recognizes extraordinary child prodigies who deserve to gain recognition at a global level. Stacey holds the quadruple record of writing her first book at the age of seven, the youngest African writer of chapter books, youngest African author of five books, and youngest African writer to get a book translated in both audio and text braille. More from Stacey Fru. Winning the Global Child Prodigy Award has made me feel very excited for the new opportunities that are about to come, but um, also very empowered by seeing other amazing, young, talented people there. So you still don't know the person who nominated you for this um, prestigious award? No, no, the person is so unknown. And what would you like to say to them? To the person that nominated me, I would just like to say that I'm extremely grateful for the nomination and I feel like they have done something amazing for me and my foundation. And you were one of the top 100 selected child prodigies chosen from 15,000 entries from 45 countries. What do you think you are doing differently from the other 15,000 people who entered the competition? Well, I don't think I'm uh, doing anything differently. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of children that were nominated have extreme talent, but I just think it's the work I do, including with my foundation and my philanthropy work, as well as my books, which have probably prompted me to be one of the first hundred selected. And they did three years of research to pick the first 100 applicants. So obviously, what I was doing in that time must have had some impact. And now take us through some of your published books. How many are they and what are they all about? I have five published books, Malikat, Robin the Snake, Malikat from Vacation, Tim's Aunt and Where's Tammy. Malikat is about two cousins who are in the same school fighting for popularity or fighting for fame. Robin the Snake is between a relationship, uh, is about a relationship between a boy and his parents once he gets the snake he's always been wanting for. Malikat on Vacation is... Now, it's a sequel of the first book, but now the cats are on vacation. So it follows their story and their journey on how they went over their vacation journey. Tim's answer is about a boy who is who set out to go find his role model, and it follows how he achieves that. And it's also there to empower other children who are looking for role models in all the wrong places to go ahead and find better role models, because there are many people doing great things. Then um, Where's Tammy is about child kidnapping and abduction, so to raise awareness around that issue, and yeah, that's that's all. And what would you like to say to um, other young writers out there who would like to be on a position that you are in um, right now? To other young writers who aspire to be in the source position, I would just tell them to keep on pushing and make sure that they gather the support from their parents and loved ones. And how do people get a hold of the books? Uh, you can get the, a hold of the books 
are from Scoops Bookshop Monte Casino, My African Buy, My African Flavor. You can get them online, Amazon.com and Kindles, so on and so forth. Or you can order them off my website, www.stacyfruit.co.za. And that's Stacey Fru, South Africa's 12-year-old who received the Global Child Prodigy Award in the category of writing, on the line talking to Lebohang Mabange. Reports say at least 17 prisoners have died in the Democratic Republic of Congo's Makala prison due to lack of food and medicine as well as poor hygiene. The prison is also severely overcrowded, housing five times more prisoners than it can accommodate and conditions are so poor that NGOs estimate at least 100 prisoners are gravely ill and close to death. Jean-Noel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa. It's a serious situation in meds are facing in jails here in the Democratic Republic of Congo, being here in the capital city Kinshasa or in the different provinces. Among the NGOs that have witnessed this is the Bill Clinton Foundation for Peace and Human Rights, an organization which is active in jails across this country. The government is no longer supplying food and medicines in the country's prisons and this has left inmates suffering from hunger and sickness. The head of the Bill Clinton Foundation, Emmanuel Cole, speaks about the situation in the Makala prison here in Kinshasa, where 20 prisoners have died since the starting of this year. The situation is extremely worse. This morning we visited the whole region in the prison. We saw how people are hunger. We have registered roughly 20 days here in Kinshasa. Within considerably 10 days, we have registered 10 days. And there are some people who are in coma. They are also waiting for their death. I can even say the number of people who die in Kinshasa is very inferior than what is in the province. So the situation is worse. It's not only in Kinshasa, it's everywhere. And indeed, the situation is worse and worse again in the different provinces, prisons where the death toll is really higher than here in Kinshasa. Among the reasons of this is that most of these countries' jails are overcrowded as the number of the sentenced inmates is far less than the one of those waiting for the sentence. In Ituri, in the northeastern DRC, for example, it's 49 prisoners who have died, according to the head of the Bill Clinton Foundation, Emmanuel Cole. We have received a report from Ituri. They have registered 49 who died in Ituri. I don't know whether it's a political sabotation, but what is going on, in fact, we don't really understand, and it is very awkward in it. We don't know. What will going to be the consequence in the near future? You see, so as even as I told you, the forty percent that they were declaring that they have given is just to pay the debt, the people that they are owing, but not to buy food to feed people. The Minister of Justice, Celestine Tundaya Kassende, has said the government is working to fix the situation in the different prisons, but one of the former prisoners who went through tough conditions in Makara has it difficult to trust this country's government when it comes to improving inmates' conditions. Golden Misabiko, who's also a human rights activist, has spoken to Channel Africa about his bad memories in the Makala prison here in Kinshasa. When you are sent to Makala, you sent it to die. Die of the hunger, die of the thirst. Makala is a terrible place. I witnessed the dying of a man who was there. Every Thursday, this uh, Michael Bart to 
passed by there to pick up the people who were dead. Pick up the bodies twice or three times to go in the burial room at the cemetery. I remember when I was there, I witnessed that with Kabila. I thought that Kisegede was going to change the thing. There are people who are there just for nothing and they are there just to die. When you go to Makala, you, you expect you to die. And when you go there, your families are going to suffer to bring food and to, to pay the policemen to, to allow you to go there and give you food. There's no food from government members or families to bring food to that place for you to live. Because when you go there, even if you're not yet submitted to death penalty, when you go there, you die. Makala Prison is the biggest one here in the capital city, Kinshasa, housing nearly 9,000 inmates in a colonial-era facility with a maximum capacity of 1,500. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. And now it's time for your latest headlines. Here's Onelin Zinzi. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Malawi's Chief Justice Andrew Nyerenda has asked the country's anti-corruption bureau to investigate alleged bribery attempts targeting judges proceeding over the presidential elections case. The African Union continues to warn against external interference in Libya, saying that Africa must lead the peace process and there is a heavy security presence on the streets of Guinea's capital, Conakry, ahead of opposition protests against President Alpha Conde's suspected plan to amend the constitution. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelin Zinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, be African, African perspective. The University of South Africa, UNISA's College of Human Sciences, is currently hosting its seventh uh, decoloniality summer school in Pretoria, South Africa. The event, which started today, seeks to interrogate power, knowledge and being and to find answers on what decolonization truly means for South Africa and Africa. The lectures and discussions will be delivered and facilitated by leading decolonial thinkers and theorists, which include... The the event ends on Friday the 17th, and to talk to us more on this, we're joined on the line by UNISA Decoloniality Summer School Project Leader, Professor Puleng Sekhalo. Uh, Professor, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you talk to us about the summit? What inspired it? Um, the summer school came as a result of us as academics coming together, reflecting and thinking about what education means within an African context and also just reflecting about the kind of knowledge that we uh, ourselves uh, 
learned as we were students, but also the kind of knowledge and books that we prescribe to our students. And thinking about how that continues to uh, perpetuate some of the issues that we're trying to confront in the work that we do. Um, looking back at the idea of colonization, coloniality, and looking at how that continues to be perpetuated in the, in the forms of knowledges that are imparted to the students. And as a result, we therefore came together and thought about ways in which we can rethink what knowledge is, what knowledge means, uh, and all of that based in Africa and from an African perspective. And so that's how uh, the summer school was born, looking at what decoloniality means and what uh, a decolonial university or a decolonized Africa would look like. And focusing specifically on the issues that are being discussed, could you could you expand a little bit more on those issues? Um, okay, so the summer school itself has been in existence for a couple of years now. So this is the seventh year that we've had the summer school. And some of the issues that we look at is what is it that we're talking about when we're talking about knowledge and what kind of knowledge matters. So we're looking at uh, disrupting the whole notion of the universal and looking at the situatedness of knowledge. So we look at the role that power plays, power uh, within the universities, power within politics, power within society, and how that manifests, power within gender relations as well. So those are some of the things that we look at and also disrupting the whole idea of disciplines. Uh, for example, history, psychology, English, and how it, it's very difficult uh, for us to imagine dealing with societal issues if we are functioning in silos, which unfortunately, uh, as universities, we tend to do. So the idea is to try um, and rethink the ways in which the university functions and and rethink going forward um, and, and coming up with ways in which we can be able to redefine what an African university could look like. And for that, we draw from African knowledge system and we look at the kinds of knowledges that are embedded within our communities and how that could, those could be brought within the university itself. So we look at theory, but we also look at how that could look like in practice if we were to rethink um, dealing with Africa's challenges. And do you think this meeting will contribute positively towards the issues of dealing with the remnants of uh, colonization? Definitely. We think that um, this will contribute positively because for us to be able to deal with some of the challenges that we're having right now, we need to understand the history of it. We need to understand how did we get to where we are today for us to be able to, to engage and, and wrestle with the current issues that, that we are confronted with. Because we believe that while official colonialism has ended, um, the remnants of it, what we call coloniality, is still very much present. Um, and, and as a result, therefore, for us to be able to deal with these current challenges, we need to understand the history of it um, and understand how other people uh, were seen as, as subhuman and what that did uh, to their way of understanding themselves and their way in which they viewed the world. Oppressed people, now that we've got freedom, now that we are deemed to be independent, um, becomes a challenge um, and, and, and uh, something that is very uncomfortable because we continue to have uh, inequality in society. We continue to have social injustice in society. So we're looking at uh, ways in which 
we can find a language, a vocabulary that can assist us to be able to understand the current issues of today. And uh, lastly, what do you hope the summit will achieve? We're hoping that um, the, the, the summer school will afford people tools, right? Theoretical tools. We're hoping that it will afford them uh, the, the, the knowledge that they, they did not have before or a rethinking in terms of the work that they're doing because we have people from diverse backgrounds. We have people from academia. We have people from uh, public sector, the government. We have people from the private sector. And, and people, again, from different parts of Africa and the world more globally. So it offers a space for people to reflect together. And we're hoping that those who are attending uh, will be able to share their experiences, share their knowledge, and also gather um, theoretical tools that will assist them to be able to, to have that rethinking when they go back to their, respe- their respective spaces after the summer school. All right, Prof, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. And that was Professor Puleng Sekhalo, Decoloniality Summer School Project Leader at the University of South Africa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netle to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I've tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. The time is now 17.41 Central African time. And a quick reminder that if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so. All you need to do is send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. You can also send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. That is plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Channel Africa One. Today, being the 13th of January 2020, 13 days into the year. It's a Monday. Looking forward to a very great week going forth uh, for the rest of the week. And just taking a look back the 27th, uh, taking a look back at some of the these the, the top stories that we have covered on the show uh, today. Somalia's Al-Shabaab militants have killed three teachers in Garissa, Kenya. Both sides in Libya's conflict have agreed to a ceasefire to end nine months of fighting and aid agencies urged the G5 Sahel Summit in France to explore non-military solutions for communities affected by crisis. Also, another reminder is that we'll be having your sporting as well as business news in just a bit so be sure to stay tuned for that
Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think we should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African perspective. And now it's time for your latest economics news. Here's Nosilia Zuma. Thank you, Samora. Good evening. South Africa's retailer, Masmat, has announced that it has started a consultation process that could end in the closure of as many as 34D on Wired and Mass Cash stores, affecting the jobs of over 1,400 workers. The announcement was carried out by the JSE's Stock Exchange New Service Department. Masmat says the consultation process of a possible store closures will take place with labor unions and others. South Africa is battling massive unemployment, currently at close to 30% and low economic growth. Some analysts say that Ramaphosa's administration has to move with haste to initiate structural reforms that attract foreign direct investment, among other things, to reignite economic growth. Kenya's Agriculture Minister Mwangi Kunjuri says large swarms of desert locusts are spreading through Kenya after wrecking havoc in Somalia and Ethiopia, posing a significant threat to food security. The locust part of the grasshopper family has led to what the Food and Agricultural Organization has themed the worst situation in 25 years in the Horn of Africa as the region is suffering its worst invasion for decades. Swarms formed in eastern Ethiopia and northern Somalia invasion for decades. Swarms formed in eastern Ethiopia and northern Somalia uh, and Uganda. The minister says the first swarm of locusts crossed the border in the Kenya from Somalia on the 28th of December 2019. Kunjuri also says that the government has managed to spray several large swarms of locusts and is currently tracking other with trained officers. Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has encouraged South African businesses to invest in his country. Ahmed, who won the Nobel Peace Prize last year for ending a decades-old stalemate with Eritrea, was in the country on a two-day official visit. He briefed the media following a bilateral and diplomatic relations meeting with President Cyril Ramaphosa at the Union buildings in the capital, Pretoria, on Sunday. Ethiopia is now opening up to private capital in telecommunication energy, logistics, and other industries, which South African investors have great experience on those fields. We also discussed the way in which we can boost our trade volume between our two countries, considering the great potential that exists, particularly through the opportunity that the African continental free trade area provides for bilateral and intra-regional trade.
And finally, energy expert Ted Bloom says government is lacking the political will to fix South Africa's power utility, ESCOM's power capacity woes. This follows bouts of load shedding in the new year as well as substation maintenance issues causing power disruptions. ESCOM board chairperson Jabu Mabuza resigned on Friday after admitting his failure to keep a promise that there will be no load shedding before the 13th of this month. Bloom says ESCOM's leadership isn't fully equipped to run the power utility. Uh, there's no political will to spend the extra money to, to fix Eskom up. It seems to me the, the political will is just to keep on tottering and, and taking us into a third world state. You can't put people into a critical position who have to spend two years learning about the job. It's a disastrous situation. And we, again, with a new appointment of the CEO, again sitting with uh, people that are in critical positions that haven't got a clue how to run the utilities. I mean, unfortunately, I have to say this, but that's exactly where we are. For your financial indicators, the US dollar is trading at 360.95 Nigerian Naira, at 100.39 Kenyan shilling, and at 13.95 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.09 Brazilian rule, 61 Russian ruble, 71.77 Indian rupee, 6.91 Chinese yuan, and at 14.35 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,556 and platinum at $977 per ounce. The price of brand crude oil is $65, double zero cents a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Nusi Shizuma. And now for your latest sport, here's Neto Chmani. Thank you, Samara, from the Sports Desk. A very good afternoon. Starting off with cricket news. Cricket South Africa CSA today named a strong and experienced squad to do battle at the upcoming ICC Women's T20 World Cup, scheduled for Australia next month. South Africa opened their pool stage fixtures with a titanic clash against England women on February the 23rd at the Walker Ground in Perth. With 11 out of 15 selected players by coach Hilton Moreng and his convener of selectors having taken part in the promise in 2018 World Cup. Moran says he's confident the team's experience will help them a lot at this tournament. We have enough maturity in the squad. If you look now, about six players were in the Big Bash. And if you look overall of them, that has been exposed to either Kia League or Big Bash, we have nine to ten players. And of the squad, it's only four youngsters in the squad. So we have 11 of them that has been to these competitions. They know what is expected. I mean, the last one in the West Indies hurt us so badly. I mean, the girls want to come back. And we worked extremely hard to try and, uh, and get that right, I think. And also the thing, the fact that we couldn't get everyone on, on the park regarding to injuries and then like our captain and Chloe Device, they, su- they suffered a couple of big injuries. So for them to be back in the squad also takes a lot of pressure of other, other cricketers to also now start looking at how they can perform. But performance-wise and the skill-wise, with the conditions that we're going to, we feel that we've picked the best possible squad that we have at our disposal. 
In athletics news, a women's marathon world record holder Bridget Cosgay says she's looking forward to defending her title at this year's London Marathon. Organizers on Monday announced the 25-year-old Kenyan will compete in this year's marathon. Cosgay broke Britain Paula Redcliffe's 16-year-old record at the Chicago Marathon in October. Her record-breaking run came six months after winning the London Marathon for the first time. The women's field is also packed with talented Kenyans, including 2018 London Marathon winner Viviane Cheruyot, three-time Berlin Marathon champion Gladys Cherono, current world champion Ruth Chepnachetich, and Jocelyn Chepkosgei, the 2019 New York City Marathon champion. On to, to volleyball news. The government of Kenya is promising total support and funding for the national women volleyball team, Malkia Strikers, who have been selected to represent Africa at the Olympic Games in Tokyo later this year. Principal Secretary for Sports, Peter Gerimi Gaberia, says the girls will be given all the facilities they will require to deliver in Tokyo. And I do believe, as they ask, going to uh, Tokyo, we should provide them the best preparation we are ready for them we are ready to provide and we're going to work with them every step of the way the head coach Paul Bitok is receiving a lot of accolades for his technical inputs that saw the East African girls win the sole African ticket to the Olympics, beating all contestants, including whip arch rivals and host Cameroon last week. He hopes his charges will do well at the Olympics. As last time we played in World Cup, the results was not bad. We reached 20 to China, uh, Japan and these other big countries. So I believe that we can surprise if we have good preparation. Uh, more than three months and uh, maybe have international friendly matches, uh, we can go further. And finally, in soccer news, South African Premiership side Maritzburg United coach Eric Tingler is not concerned about rumors that his first goalkeeper Richard Ofori from Ghana might leave the team and join Mamelodi Sundowns during this January transfer window. Instead, Tinkler benched Ofori and fielded Bongani Mbandle in goals during the team of choices goalless draw with Chippa United at Mdanzani Sisadugasha Stadium in East London on Saturday. No, there's no concerns on players leaving. <laughs> but I have a, I have a small, small squad. We've had a small squad since the beginning of the season. Uh, the, we brought 20 players with us, and there's only one, two, three there. Sianda, Pumlani, and Diallo. You know, so we don't have another 11 players, 12 players sitting at home. We only have three and two of them are injured or have been injured. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for programming news and sport from an African perspective. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. This is Africa Digest.
And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Lebo Muswewo, and the rest of the team, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time. Uh, but should you have any comments on the show in the meantime, do send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, and you can also tweet us at Channel Africa One. From myself and the team, we'll see you again later.